You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. Uh, My name is Jordan, if you're new here, and it's my great privilege and pleasure to be preaching here this morning with you all. Um, Quite frankly, I'm excited to be anywhere where there's air conditioning right now. Like, you could get me to go, like, anywhere, honestly, if you just told me there's air conditioning and it wasn't in my house, I didn't have to stay in my house anymore. Um, So I'm excited to be here, Uh, not just because of the air conditioning, though, because uh, I think it's going to be a good morning, and I feel strongly that this is the message that the Lord has given me through the scripture this morning, and I'm excited to be here and share it with you all. If you're a regular here, you know that we are in a series on the Old Testament right now, and it's a long series that we're doing. All summer, we are working our way through the entire Old Testament, it's a very big chunk of the Bible, right? We're moving from Genesis all the way through the prophets. And right now we're kind of at a halfway point. We're at week six of 12. And today we'll be looking at the book of Joshua. Um, If you were here last time I preached, I preached on the flood. And the flood and Joshua are like the two places that show explicit divine violence in the scriptures. And so I was like, oh, I don't know what the Lord's tried to tell me, Um, but it cannot be good. But that's what we're doing this morning. We're talking about that. When preparing for this sermon, um, full disclosure, I struggled with just figuring out where to go with it. One, divine violence is hard. Two, I have personally just a little bit less academic experience with the book of Joshua. I um, have spent a lot of time elsewhere in the Old Testament. And when I got um, this scripture, this book, I was like, man, I don't have just a knee-jerk on, like, where to go with it. I don't have just a already formed thought on, like, here is formative teaching on the book of Joshua that I've received before that I think can help, and that's oftentimes how I approach other scriptures. That's certainly how I approached the, the flood sermon that I did. And so instead, what came is I was going through this text, and I was reading it, and I'm like, this is, it's a big book. Where, where am I going with this? Like, what... Uh, What do I feel like um, the Lord's trying to tell our church? The Lord's trying to tell me through this. And while doing that, I think I ended up in a place where this is a very different sermon than I usually preach. It's a very, um, I hate to say unacademic, but maybe a more unacademic sermon than I or or Brandon teach oftentimes. Um, Really, what we're going to do this morning and what I felt really drawn to and what 
where I've really just found meaning and revelation in the text is three verses, and there are three verses where we just spend time thinking about the emotions that are present in the story. Um, ooh, emotions are like kind of unacademic. That's kind of um, presumptuous, some might say. We don't know exactly how they were feeling in that moment. Um, maybe we're making assumptions that aren't completely true. And there's a lot of fear, I think, in looking at a text and trying to figure out what emotions are present there. But I also think that it's a way that we should stretch ourselves in being curious about the text. And when we think about what we want to do in the summer with the Old Testament, it's that. It's be curious about the text and look at it in new ways. And maybe that means we push into looking at, looking at it in a more traditionally academic way where we look at historical context. Maybe we look at language. Maybe um, we look at things that are referenced outside of biblical scripture, like other literature at that time. Maybe we do that. But also, I don't want us to lose the fact that we're humans. And so we can use our humanness, not just our intellect, to just look at the scripture and think, like, how does that feel? How does it make me feel? What were they feeling? And as I was going through it, I was just struck more and more that the way that I think Joshua may have been feeling here is certainly something that I'm currently feeling, something that I have felt often, and it is a real, I think, macro theme of how so many of us Christians feel in our spiritual life. And I'll never forget back in like 2019 when I interned at the church, um, Zach McCoy had this phrase that he said one time about what pastoring was, and it has stuck with me ever since. And he said, so much of what pastoring is, is taking your own spiritual life and cracking it open and sharing it with those around you. But that's what pastoring is, and that's really what discipling is. And so... In the spirit of that, in the spirit of looking at the text in maybe a different way, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our longing for reassurance in life and the way that God sees and meets that in us. And I think this text speaks to it. So to effectively speak about the book of Joshua before doing anything, we need to know its place in the full canon of scripture. Um, this summer is in part about teaching Old, Old Testament biblical literacy. We care about biblical literacy at this church. I, I care about it a lot. And so I just refuse to start a sermon without giving you an idea of its place in the story. Um, as just an aside, in my first semester, of seminary, I read this book called The Drama of Scripture, and it took the full, the full story of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelations, and it presented it in a single, in a single story, in a single book. And that, just that book, completely changed my biblical literacy. Like, it gave me a, a storyline so that any time someone references a book, I could say, I know what's happening at that point in the story. And I have immediate general context around it. And it was so helpful. And there's a lot of really great books out there like this. Um, the Drama of Scripture was what I read. Um, the Story of God, The Story of Us. This is another great one. If you are looking to just like bump up your biblical literacy without having to, I mean, it's hard to read the whole Bible from very beginning to very end. And sometimes it's hard to see a full storyline when you do it. I really recommend books like this. It really helps. And I think it um, can just help 
you're reading actual, the actual scripture with having knowledge of a big storyline. So that's just a little plug because it really helped transform my own life. All right, all that to be said, let's do a quick recap of what's happened in the biblical story leading up to the book of Joshua. So we have Genesis. It tells us a story about the beginning of God's people, right? It's in the name, Genesis, the beginning. The book tells us about God choosing Abraham, entering into relationship with all of his descendants. And so the rest of the book tells us of the following generations that descended from Abraham, right? It's the story of the beginning of God's people. That is Genesis. Then we move to the next book, we move to Exodus. And that tells us about the liberation of those exact people that we met in Genesis, right? That's also in the name Exodus. Like it is an Exodus for the people of Israel. God's people are enslaved. God intervenes, liberates them from bondage, and also promises them this land of their own. Brandon preached on this in Exodus. He said, you're liberated from and you're liberated to. Now, after this happens, right, there are hiccups, there's disobedience along the way, and the Israelites, God's people, end up just wandering in the wilderness for decades on their way from bondage to this promised land. And eventually, at the end of Moses' life, who Moses has been leading the Israelites in that liberation process, at the end of his life, it's now time for the people to officially enter that land. And that is like the cliffhanger that we're sitting on when we start the book of Joshua. That is where Joshua picks up. And this morning, we are going to begin there. I'm going to give you a brief overview of the book, and then we're going to sit in three verses in the middle of it. So the book is called Joshua, because Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites, the same people that Moses led out of slavery into this new promised land. Joshua picks up, takes the baton, and is ready to push them into that land. The book opens at Moses' death, and then Joshua is about to lead Israel in preparation for this battle. That's what chapters 1 through 5 are about. There's preparation for the conquest and the battle for the land. So chapters 1 through 5, they send spies out to scope out Jericho. That's the very first battle that we see kick off this conquest narrative. The Israelites cross the Jordan River to get into the land. And then in chapter 5, at the end of this preparation section, we see practical ways in which they are committing themselves in preparation for battle. The, the men circumcise themselves. They have a um, Passover celebration, their first Passover celebration in the land. And all of these things are ways in which the people are recommitting themselves to the Lord before entering into this battle. It's preparation stage, chapters 1 through 5. We then enter chapters 6 through 12, and those are the battle chapters. That is where we see battles and conquests for the land, where the Israelites are battling to take this land that was promised to them. We aren't spending time here this week, but I want to recognize, and I want to know, want you to know that I understand that these are difficult chapters for so many of us, chapters 6 through 12. This is where we see so much of that divine violence. And if that gives you pause and that makes you struggle, I don't want to not address it today and then just like move on. Because again, I don't think that's what this summer is about either. Um, It's hard. It makes you think about this idea of like genocide and God 
and colonization and God. And there's just hard, hard topics. And so if you're there and you're looking for another resource, one, just like reach out to the pastoral staff because that's like why they're here. But two, there's an awesome book on this. Matthew Lynch's book, um, Flood and Fury, is so good. It's so good. So if you are a reader and you want a resource that just dives into this topic, I highly, highly recommend it. It hits on those chapters that we're not going to get to hit on today. That's chapter 6 through 12, Israel is battling for the land. Then in chapters 13 through 22, time has passed. They've battled. They've acquired land. In these 13 through 22, it's a lot of chapters where they're just dividing the land up. They're now dividing the land up amongst the tribes of Israel. And the final two chapters in Joshua is Joshua's speech to the Israelites. He's grown old, and they've divided the land up. They're now kind of settling in to a society there. And he's reminding them to remain faithful to the Torah and to God's covenant with them. Okay. So that's the book of Joshua. It's the story of Joshua as a leader of Israel, as Israel crossed into the promised land, prepared for battle, went into battle, acquired land, divided that land up amongst the people. Today, we're going to spend time at the end of that very first section that I described. We're going to spend time in the closing verses of chapter 5. Remember, chapters 1 through 5 is this preparatory chapter preparing for battle. It's about preparing for this major moment in Israelite history to receive what God had promised them. And so we're going to look at verses 13 through 15, the final verses before the battle begins. It's these final moments before so much of what all of the Bible has been leading up to happens. When we read these verses, we have to read them with weight and anticipation and this big, big thing that is coming for, these, for this group of people is about to happen. And these are the moments before. So let's read the text again. This is Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. All right, let's move. We're going to move through verse by verse here. Let's look back at the beginning. First verse, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. All right, so remember at this point in the story, Joshua is leading the Israelites to battle in order to take over this land. This first battle and the series of conquests to accomplish is the battle of Jericho, and that's where he is right now. So Joshua is right outside of Jericho. They are moments away from the battle. They're knocking on the door of it right now. And we're not given a lot of details about what Joshua's doing, about what's happening here. But when I think about the weight and the heaviness and the anticipation of what is to come, I imagine Joshua by himself outside of Jericho just like stress pacing a little bit. 
right? I, I'm not a stress pacer. I deal with stress in a very sedentary way where I just sit and I like to scroll sometimes, you know? But my husband Kendrick, he's a stress pacer. He stress paces all the time. And so that's like when I'm thinking about the feelings of Joshua and they didn't have phones, so I'm like, he must be stress pacing. So he's outside of Jericho. I imagine him just like walking back and forth, just all over, just walking. When Kendrick does it, he's like kind of hunched down and his hands are kind of behind his back when he does it. So like I imagine Joshua just like hands behind his back, like eagles in a nest, just a little hunched over, stress pacing for this thing to come. Now, I mean, okay, I want to say, obviously we have no details to support any of this, but when I let myself wonder and try to feel and look at the text curiously, right, things that we've talked about doing in this series, um, this is just a view that kind of strikes me in my mind. As Joshua is outside of Jericho, and he may or may not have been stress pacing, something pulls his head up and causes him to lift his eyes out of that moment of heaviness that he was in. Right When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. That is alarming. He's walking, his anticipation, heaviness, maybe fear. And he looks up and there's a man with a sword. If he wasn't stress pacing before, I can only imagine this adrenaline rush and this fight or flight that is going through his body right now. Um, I should also note here that this is kind of um, a common occurrence that we see in the ancient world. Um, There's temple drawings that show this 12th century BC pharaoh receiving a sword from a god. And like the text reads, take thee the sword, my son, my beloved, that thou mayst smite the head of rebellious countries. Uh, Likewise, there's another god that offers a different pharaoh in the 13th century BC, a sword, with these accompanying words that say, take now this sword and banish from yourself your troubled heart. It even happens other places in scripture, right? In Numbers 22, 23, in 1 Chronicles 21, 16. This is a literary pattern that we see where a military leader is in the moments before a big battle and a divine figure with some sort of weapon approaches and they relay some sort of message. And so... When we see that, we can ask, what message is this encounter telling us about our God? So let's keep asking that and let's keep reading. And Joshua went to him, to this divine figure, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Um, I think that Joshua was fearful in this moment. If I'm having to think about what is happening in his circumstance, I think that there's heaviness and maybe some anxiety, maybe some fear that is inside of him about this upcoming battle. And then he runs into a man with a sword. And while he, and this is all happening while he's near this enemy's camp. And I think that the question that Joshua asks reflects the state that Joshua might have been in at that moment, right? The question that he asks is full of desire for very clear reassurance, right? I think that he wants to be reassured that this whole plan is true. I think he wants to be reassured that God will really lead them to victory. 
He wants to be reassured that God, maybe God cares about him, right? That God does care about the Israelites, his people. Maybe he even wants to be reassured that just, like, God is here and invested and that God is good. Maybe. We don't know. But what I do really believe is that he was feeling fear, anxiety, whatever we want to call it. And it came out in this question, seeking certainty. I think Joshua needed reassurance. And when he runs into this man with the sword, that need for reassurance is blurted out in the question, are you for us? Are you against us? I think Joshua wanted reassurance here, and I think he sought certainty because of it. How often do we seek reassurance in our lives and reassurance in like our faith, reassurance that God is who God says God is, Assurance that life is good, there's hope, that we're not just like spinning on an orb for forever until we die. I think we oftentimes need that reassurance, maybe more than we let ourselves realize. And I think that we always seek it in certainty. We seek it in the form of certainty. I want to be reassured in things. So I ask questions that are black and white, questions that are fully binary, because a binary question can give me certainty, and that certainty will give me the reassurance that I want, right? And so Joshua was in a moment where he longed for reassurance, and so he sought certainty and said, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? The figure replied to this, and and he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. Right? How does this figure respond to Joshua's question of certainty? It kind of like makes me giggle when I see it. Like he, Joshua's just pleading for answers. Like, are you for us or are you against us? Just tell me so I can feel safe and have an idea of what's happening here. And he just goes, no. Like he does not even address the question. Some translations say that it's neither instead of no. Um, I just think that there's some like comedic nuance that I appreciate about the translation of no. There's just a bypass of the question completely. But it's also in that moment of bypassing the question and this desire for certainty, it's in that moment that Joshua also finds out that this figure is divine because he says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. A term that I've used before in sermons is uh, thin places, thin places. And it's this Celtic term that's been uh, really adopted by Christians. And uh, I've read it described as, as this. Thin places, it's where the fabric that separates heaven and earth is so thin that it becomes almost translucent. And one is able to enter the joy and peace of heaven In the Celtic tradition, such places give us an opening into the magnificence and wonder of the world to come. To them, a thin place is where the veil that separates heaven and earth is lifted and one is able to receive a glimpse of the glory of God. This moment, that's what I see. I see exactly that. I see a thin place where a divine being has entered the world and there is, for a moment, a thin place where heaven and earth are just mingled together. And the divine being then says and closes with, now I have come. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Right. First, we see that scripture equates this figure to the Lord. It tells us that Joshua calls it my Lord. I think that this is a real place of like encounter with the divine that Joshua's having here. It is not God. This figure is not God, but it is in some mysterious way God's presence interacting with Joshua in that moment. And Joshua's response to this encounter is to fall down and to just worship. And then Joshua asks for a word from the Lord. Right? He says, what does my Lord say to his servant? What do you want from me? Tell me something. I think this is another clear representation of him seeking reassurance. Tell me something. I think that's a cry that we've probably said to God before in our lives. Tell me something. What is the word that you have for me? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, this is, this is his response to Joshua. He says, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The response that Joshua got when he pled for certainty because he wanted reassurance was not certainty. But what it was, was a place of holiness. It was a thin place. God's presence was there. That's the response that Joshua got. And I, I think that this encounter between Joshua and this divine figure is such a representation of how we interact with God. It's certainly a representation of how I interact with God. The story began with like what I think is Joshua longing for reassurance uh, amidst the weight of God's people, the weight of um, war, the weight of an entire faith, right? These big, grand things weighing on his shoulders. And the way that he sought reassurance in his life was by seeking certainty when encountering this figure. He said, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? That's how he responded to his desire for reassurance, was give me certainty, but instead of giving certainty, God gave Joshua an encounter with divinity. Instead of giving an answer to his binary question that would, you know, give him some semblance of comfort about the battle, God gave Joshua an interaction with the presence of God. God created a thin space in which heaven intermingled with earth. God gave Joshua a moment in which he could do nothing else but involuntarily fall on his face in worship. And God met Joshua in a holy place. And while he did not directly answer Joshua's binary question, while he did not address Joshua's attempt at gaining certainty to quell his reassurance, I do think God gave Joshua the very reassurance that his heart, his heart was longing for. Um, and there, let's look at a couple ways of how this interaction reassured Joshua. First, I mentioned earlier that the book of Joshua begins at Moses' death. Um, and Joshua had just been appointed the new leader of Israel. And I mean, Moses is a tough act to follow as, as a leader, especially as, as leader of the Israelite people. He's kind of like the leader of leaders. He led the nation in their liberation from slavery. 
And then after their liberation at Mount Sinai, he interacted with God on behalf of all of the Israelites. He gave them the law from God. He gave them the Ten Commandments from God. And when the Israelites turned away, Scripture tells us that Moses is the one who convinced God to have mercy on the Israelites, to not give up on the people, to have compassion on them. Right? Moses was this leader who deeply worked on behalf of the Israelites while simultaneously working on behalf of God. Those are shoes to fill. And I can only imagine the anxiety, right? Maybe the imposter syndrome, as us modern folk would call it, right? And the need for reassurance in this position that Joshua must have felt. Right? And how does this divine encounter reassure Joshua of his position as the new Moses? If we remember back to Exodus, when Moses was first called to lead Israel out of slavery, God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And what did that burning bush say to Moses? Right? What did the divine being that wasn't God, but somehow this divine presence of God, what did it say to Moses? Well, as Moses was approaching the bush, it said, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Right? Does this sound familiar from this morning? Joshua asked the figure, what does my Lord say to his servant? What word can the divine give me? And the divine chose to say to Joshua exactly what was said to Moses when Moses was called to lead Israel. Right? An interaction with the divine reassured Joshua that he was the right leader of Israel for that exact moment in history. Let's see, how else was Joshua reassured here? Well, as we know, Joshua was headed into battle. Right? That is what they were preparing for. That's what was coming up. And I'm sure there was worry and anxiety about that outcome of the battle. God had promised this land to them, but maybe he had real fear and anxiety about losing men. Fear about just not even winning the battle. He had fear about God not doing what God said that he'd do. Right? Who hasn't been there before? I know I have. I have felt many times this fear that like, what if God doesn't do what I think God is supposed to do? Right? There's just a fear in that weight. And so when Joshua runs into this figure... It is no coincidence that the divine figure is the commander of the army of the Lord. In other moments of the Bible, like I kind of referenced earlier on, we see these divine figures show up. And oftentimes they are called the angels of the Lord. This, however, is a unique experience where it is not just an angel of the Lord, but it is the commander of the Lord's army. Right? This, this divine figure was invested inherently in the military movement of Israel, the exact thing that Joshua was charged with taking care of and leading. If Joshua had fear about whether God was invested in this battle, if, if God was invested in the, this messy gray area that these Israelites were trying to navigate, that they found themselves in, right, that was assuaged when the commander of the Lord's army showed up. And God said, yes, yes, Joshua, I do remember about the battle. And I think another interesting thing to note here is that this figure like had a sword. 
And as mentioned earlier, these encounters with a divine leader before battle has shown up as a pattern throughout ancient literature. And what usually happens is that the sword that the divine leader is holding is bestowed upon the human, and that human is charged with taking the weapon and wielding it on behalf of this other mission. But scripture here explicitly states that the divine figure had a sword, held it in his hand, and yet what the figure does is not bestow the sword upon Joshua, but he kept the sword and he reoriented the entire battle to being on behalf of the Lord's army. This interaction with the divine brought reassurance to Joshua that God was invested and was there in the battle. And finally, I think this last way that I believe that this encounter reassured Joshua was just simply through the interaction with the divine, through being in a holy place. Any fear or doubts about the realness, about the reality of Joshua's God, I think that was eased when a divine figure approached him and affirmed that he was in a holy space, right? In that moment for Joshua, God wasn't conceptual or theoretical, Uh, In that moment, God wasn't a belief system. God wasn't a practice of faith, a a thought, a good idea, a theology, a moral code. Right In that moment, God was just there. God was real. God was tangible. God's presence was something to be like seen and experienced and spoken to and received from. When we have moments where God is present... I believe we're reassured of life's orientation. I I believe we're reassured of the perspective of things. We're reassured in the character of God. And I think we're really reassured in God's investment in us and in this world. And I believe that that is what God gave Joshua in this moment. When I read this story, and when I'm curious about how individuals in it were feeling, and how God responded to those feelings... I see a way that God interacts with his people time and time again, a way that I've seen God interact with me in my own life. Um, I too oftentimes, um, I feel very anxious about life. I I find myself longing for reassurance in things. And sometimes I'm longing for reassurance in small things in life, like um, practical daily things in life. But I think that also I don't, re- I don't recognize or let myself recognize how often my soul is really longing for reassurance about like big existential things in life. Right, here's just a list. When I was writing this, I was like, what kind of things do I feel like that are big things that I just kind of wish I had more reassurance on? And like within 30 seconds, I came up with an entire list of them. Like it took me seconds to come up with this, right? I thought, what am I anxious over? I'm anxious over like, God, are you real? God, are you good? God, does like this matter? God, um, am I anything? Am I good? Do I have value? Do you love me? Am I lovable? Do you know me? Am I known by anyone? Will you take care of me? Am I alone? 
Like these are just like, within a minute I came up with these things. And I think if we all did this practice of where we spent like one to three minutes, I think that we really could see and like reveal some grand deep things in life that we long for reassurance over. We long for reassurance about. And I think that the way that we often address these questions is by asking binary black and white questions. I think that we probably do this with many of our relationships in our life as well. Like I know there are many times in which I'm needing something emotionally from, from Kendrick and then I try to satisfy that by like getting him to answer a question right and like that's the reassurance that I want. I found myself doing that. Um, and I think there is in today's world this real deep longing inside of all of us for reassurance about life's biggest questions and concerns and fears and anxieties. They're real things, and I think that they make our soul churn, like daily. And yet, I also know that in today's world, we have access to more certainty than we ever have in the history of the world. Like, isn't that interesting? We can find facts and we can get some answers to binary questions and we can gain more and more certainty about how things work and what is to come and how everything in life is, is operating and we can have better ideas about specific theological questions and we can narrow things down. We can do all of these things and yet I, I believe that we will still never be reassured. We're never going to be people who are assured in life by certainty. And so in our faith, I think we really, too, ask God to give us solid, clear answers. We ask God for certainty. But instead, what we are oftentimes given as a response to these questions is not certainty, but it's divinity. Like Joshua, the way God wants to reassure us about our heart's biggest fears, our heart's biggest anxieties, Biggest turmoil is not through certainty, but it's through a moment in a thin place where the fabric between heaven and earth is so translucent that it is almost not there. And we encounter the divine, and we encounter God. Right? Our fears and our worries and concerns and anxieties and existential crises, like God cares deeply about them. I don't want us to walk away from today thinking that. Like, notice in the story that Joshua was never reprimanded about asking these binary questions. He wasn't reprimanded about seeking certainty. When we seek to quell these longings in our heart with certainty, we aren't doing something wrong. Just know that God might answer you in a different way. God might, instead of answering the question that you think will provide the reassurance that you're thinking or that you're seeking, like maybe instead God will invite you into a moment with the divine and it is in that moment that God might just address the longings of your heart. Um, church, don't stop asking those binary questions. Don't stop seeking certainty. Those questions are like good. Those pursuits are good. They show curiosity and a search for truth in this life. Um, and then they show this like real struggle with the exact things that all of humanity, including those that we see in scripture, have been struggling with since the beginning of time. Like we're a church that loves people who ask questions, and I think that's why a lot of us ended up here. But I pray that we do not forget 
to open our eyes to the thin places that we encounter, to maybe even intentionally carve out specific time into a creative space that is sacred where we encounter God. Because I truly believe that oftentimes reassurance in life will not be found in the certainty that we seek, but rather in the real and present divinity that we encounter. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.